0: Ladies and gentlemen, all sentient beings listening to this podcast, it's time for another episode of Woke Bros. I am your illustrious co-host, Michael Jamal Brooks, joined as always by my friend, compadre, and podcast partner, Big
2: Waz. Wise, how you doing? I'm good. Welcome back to the woke Bros sphere. <laughs> oh
0: man, you know that this is where you want to be everybody. Of course. And of course, well he's he's sort of he's here but he's in and out. Yeah. We have our junior junior genius evil genius genius in training Rob Lopez taking us through the ones and twos as always up top. Subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. Leave us a review. Check out all of the counted dings and athletic properties. Check out the Michael Brooks show. Check out everything on Patreon and YouTube and all the rest. And we'll get – and also we'll get into more details about stuff after. We're not going to load you up on plugs up top, but start by making sure if you haven't already to subscribe to the bomb feed and leaving us a review a lot of stuff to tackle today. We're talking about political prisoner Lula de Silva. We've talked a lot about him on my show, certainly on this show a little bit. He just gave an incredible interview that was uh, subtitled into English to Glenn Greenwald of The Intercept that has uh, lessons on his situation. But he actually, even though he's a political prisoner in solitary confinement, he has strategic insights about how to defeat the far right and – What really being, what left wing, what like actual grounded people politics is all about. I was, I mean, obviously I'm a big fan of the man, but I thought it really was incredible. Uh, And we're going to tackle that. I want to know all of Waz's thoughts on that. And then we got to talk about Rihanna. It's incredible accomplishment of her in terms of being the first black woman to take over a major fashion house in Paris. The celebration of this Wall Street, of this New York Times interview and all the things it means it's it's positive it's interesting it's rihanna and then it would have been biggie smalls 47th birthday this week so we're going to touch on that and revisit the 1990s and
2: ready to die so a lot to hit so many I- goodies so many delectable treats on this episode of the woke pros mike i mean seriously it's, it's a sometimes lot of- yeah, Sometimes some. the content gods just bless you with an incredible week, <laughs> and these are one of those weeks because, you know, one, um, this is the first time I've actually ever heard Lula speak, and he's an incredibly captivating speaker. Um, he's very—I don't know—he's very inspirational in that way. Um, you know what was was? Can you tell? Can you actually before?
0: Please, that's exactly actually how I wanted to start. So let. Can we just say, like, probably most people in the audience are, you know, they're not going to be people like me who've watched this dude and been covering it and all this. But, you know, like, and I mean, okay, you know, obviously you cover politics. uh, You know, it's part of what you do for a living and what you do. But if this is your first time watching the dude, and I know you know about it from me and the shows and everything. But what were all your impressions of him just as a communicator, as a leader, his idea? Like, whatever. Just lay it all out.
2: You know what? I, like, one, as much as as many gripes as I have with Glenn Greenwald, the sort of media personality, I don't th- I think his abilities and his skills as a journalist are unimpeachable. Right. In the sense that clearly. He's a Lula sympathizer, but he can effectively communicate what the critiques are. And what I like about Lula is that, yes, I'm not parrying your question, which is like The most expert skill that um, U.S. politicians have, right? It's like I can get your little critical question and I can sort of parry it and re-pivot and, you know, sort of reestablish my my post-up position, if you will, to borrow a basketball analogy. Um, What I like about Lula is that he's like, not only do I hear your question, I know exactly where it's coming from and why people might think this is a problem for me, but here's why it's not. <laughs> right, like that. Is, like I, I don't know the the the, the clarity. The it, it, to me, that's that's what makes him effective. It's his clarity of purpose, his clarity of intentionality that 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 separates him from your run of the mill politician. Um, you know, I I feel like he, his mission is very simple, right? It's like, what do we do to help our most downtrodden people? Sometimes on the road to that we have to do things that we may not like mm-hmm. that you know the the, the 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 sort of the judge and jury you know the people on their high horse of the of of my sort of um political purview um in his case being the left that they, that might give them you know an angle to critique me and what i do but at the end of the day my message my mission is clear my mission is so freaking easy for me to understand what I have to do because I know who I'm doing it for and why I'm doing it. I was just impressed with his – um, because, you know, Greenwald brought up the idea that, well, the, the elite and the bankers also got rich too, you know – it, as if that's some kind of critique when the guy's lifting up millions and millions and millions of people out of straight-up despair. Like, that's not even hyperbolic. D- despair. Abject poverty. Um, he, It, it was just—I think it's instructive for leftward-leaning people in America, what he said. He was like, look— <laughs> in a freaking a Congress of 500 and something people, only 90 of them were from my party, right? So I have an objective and I have a goal. I have to figure out who are the people that are going to help me reach my objective. Now, some of their objectives may be shit that I don't like, but guess what? It's in service of getting my shit done. Yeah, Which I think is an incredible. It's just an incredible message of coalition. How coalitions actually work, right? Like especially in a coalition like the Democratic Party, where you just have so many factions and factors. Um, the, the 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 measure of an effective leader is finding a way to get us to. The destination, right? We might not like the path. We might have to go through some seedy ass neighborhood, right? Well, we might get robbed and killed. But guess what? We got home. You know what I'm saying? Like Unless we got, got home.
0: <laughs> Let me. Um. Yeah. No. I love everything you're saying, and I think. I mean. I also just say, like, you know, if you haven't heard him speak or watched him speak yet, he's got this very distinctive, like, almost growl, like. Boy, and I love the part because he's it's all in Portuguese, but I love how he's just like when Greenwald's pushing him and he's just like, "Glen, Glenn, like, yeah, like, I got it. I got it, <laughs> <laughs> which is what I think is funny is like. You know, like, I do, like, I I love that you noted that distinction between Glenn as a journalist versus, like, Twitter provocateur, and, you know, like, I sometimes talk, like, I DM'd with Glenn a little bit, actually, even before this interview, you know, and I definitely have a lot of respect and like Glenn Greenwald, think he's an important voice, even as I disagree with him, which I think, by the way, we need to do more of that in general, like, there's a lot of things I disagree with him on, there's a lot of things I agree with him on, but... Overall, especially when you're focusing on his writing or his interviewing, I mean, this is a brilliant guy. I didn't, I mean, there's things about the interview that I would have done much differently, frankly, right? But, you know, it had a huge value. But I did think that the way he said that, to me, I was thinking of all of the people. Like, I even thought of you, of just like Glenn, Glenn, like, all right. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> we get it. We get it. We get it. I, like we get what you're what you're doing right here. Okay, let me let me get let me get to it. <laughs> so
0: I, it's no, it's so instructive, man. Because first of all, yes, this is a leader, and I'll just you know I'll just reset because I think on one hand there's the dimension of who we are in the United States and the fact that we have backed. And I have no question – I mean basically the real short version of the story is that Lula was president from 2003 to 2010, then his successor from the same party, uh, also a very interesting politician. Her name was Dilma Rousseff, was president from 2010 to 2016, and then she was removed – in what is universally recognized as an illegitimate coup, basically. Like, the Congress removed her for budget irregularities. And I could tell you the closest analogy would have been is if the Republicans were just like, oh, well, Obama gave us a bad number on something. Like, that that budget projection wasn't real. We're going to impeach him. So the removal of her was incredibly corrupt. And Lula left office literally with an 86% approval rating, and he had lifted at least... Basically, about 40 million people out of like extreme poverty, basically from like starving to being somewhere in the middle class, and then did a huge amount for labor unions. Did it? I mean, that was if you are thinking of politics from the perspective of what benefits people, he's the best president we've had in the 21st century so far, right? And but the elite in brazil and that was and also the united states because i definitely think like the united states has been part of this process and I, and you know we can't get into all of it now but he's in jail in a process where there was no evidence produced it's basically all based off of co- a coerced plea bargain testimony for accepting this seaside apartment it's a It's a case that does not pass muster by any standard. And he was put in jail and silenced during the 2018 race where he led in all of the polls. Right. And his perspective, which I tend to agree with, is that even though he was very conciliatory in a way and willing to make a lot of deals with everybody, I mean, there was a period of time where this guy had good relations with everybody from Bush to Iran, but he had a lot of focus on other countries in Latin America, Africa. He was very admired in Europe. Uh, You know, he wouldn't allow certain parts of Brazilian national resources and specifically oil resources to be open to foreign investment and U.S. investment. That definitely does correlate with the Department of Justice cooperating very aggressively in this very politicized campaign against him and his political party. But so there's that element. And he also said, like, look, like. The reason that we've been undone is because of the successes we've had, that even though they did great under my presidency, a lot of the Brazilian elite just hate to see poor people in planes. They hate to see poor – and I think that to me was very interesting because – and he was also talking about the bigger lessons of why the far right is is growing. He quoted a writer from Mozambique who said, in times of terror, we elect monsters. Monsters. Yeah and that is true with you know obviously with Trump with with Bolsonaro with Modi with Orbán all of these people and he was saying you know but i thought that was really interesting because again i think like we got to also consider the fact that people always talk about like resentment and fear they always try to especially in the united states they always call about talk about the so-called white working class And what I loved about the point he made, because I think a lot in Brazil and definitely in the United States, it's a lot of actually relatively affluent people, including ultra-wealthy people, who not only don't want their position threatened, they don't even want to see other people with backgrounds (laughs) culturally, racially, or economically even being in the same space. And that's what he identified in Brazil, because he's like, yeah – I did have a formula where everybody was winning, but they didn't want to see the poor winning, basically. And the only other thing I would say, there's a lot more in the interview, I mean, and it is brilliant. But I do think the other part that I liked and, you know, he was just very blunt. Like at one point he was like, yes, there is this global trend and it's happening. And, you know, this is how it works. But on the other hand, like I think the way he put it, he's like, look,
2: I know Hillary Clinton pretty well. (laughs) <laughs> the devil could have found a more appealing candidate <laughs> like yeah personally he talked about her like she's just not an appealing person personally um and you know that's not even up for debate like maybe if Lula was running we win maybe if
0: Obama's running we win I just want to say one other last thing and then please take it over for everything I think the other thing that's so important is just how earthy he is like, That is totally not in so much left politics here. Like actually Bernie does a good job of that, but he gets detailed. He was like, when, when I became president, I flew ministers who were bankers and doctors in my cabinet. He grew up in total poverty, but he knew that people in his cabinet didn't have that experience. And he's like, I flew them to the most poor remote places in Brazil and they'd have to go to a hut where somebody, and he says it, he's like, they have sex, they shit, they eat in the same room they need to understand they need to have that in their blood that's why we're in office and that is so simple because everybody's out like running around trying to figure it out but it's that instinct that gut that commitment that's what's so distinct and that's what you know pretty much nobody else in politics i do think bernie has some of that i think jeremy Cortland, of course but as a lot of it in fact but it's distinct and it's also related to you know i mean his his very strong charisma
2: Yeah, you you know, because Greenwald, he brought up a point, which is probably a left a leftward critique in that he's like, well, if we're going to have left leaders, if we're going to have people who are fighting for the rights of. The most downtrodden people in our societies. Shouldn't those people come from those places? And he pushed back against that. And that's why he used that example. Right. He's like, it's not beyond the comprehension of a human being (laughs) to recognize the humanity in somebody else to know that this just should not be. Right. It's like this is not beyond the comprehension of somebody who went to school and got to go to university and actually came up in a middle upper middle class background to understand that no human being should have to suffer this indignity, right? Which I thought was a poignant, you know, um, point on his part. the The idea that, you know, uh, if if you've never, you know, had to wash your clothes in in the in the same sink, same toilet that you that you take a. Sh- didn't quite frankly. Yeah. Right. Like, if you've never had to do that, you can't understand why that's fucked up. Like, that's you know, that's just a ridiculous notion. Um, to me, not ridiculous, but I think it's um, I think it's misguided. The idea that uh, you have to be black in order to understand the plight of the black man. No, maybe you should go there. Maybe you should talk to the people who live like that. Maybe you should ask them what it what it takes to you know to endure on a day to day basis in their environments. And, uh, you know, with with that point, I I completely agreed with them. And, you know, (laughs) again, the, the clarity of vision is, is, is what's important to me. Um, just the, the ability to effect, to effectively communicate something without a bunch of bells and whistles. Uh, I think so so many times, especially in our politics right now, right? And I talk about this all the time. Like Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, like have an idea. They have, a, like, a, a platform. They have, like, a set of things they want to achieve, and they're putting them forth to to potential people to vote for them, right? Then we have motherfuckers like Biden. Then we have Beto. Then we have even a Kamala Harris or a Cory Booker who, again, they're doing better than the Betos and the Bidens who – and fucking Mayor Pete who is just basically oh, – I hate Mayor Pete, man. Mayor, Mayor Pete first. just sucks. He's the worst. And Biden's idea of just like the second I arrive in the White House, Republicans are going to find Jesus again. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, how could that possibly be in the year of our Lord, 2019, after you, motherfucker, were the vice president of Barack Hussein Obama, motherfucker? Like, you were that dude's vice president. This idea that Republicans are going to wake up tomorrow and not be Republicans because Joe Biden showed up. It's laughable, right? It's and, and, I, and I think what Lula is, is, is just showing you, it's like, no, like, you know what's going to... Oh, and I love the crime question. Oh. I was... love the crime question where he's like, no, crime didn't go up. We're actually giving real stats. We're not juking the stats, but you know what? One of the biggest drug lords in the history of Brazil said his production went down 20% because the people that would normally be working in his cook factories... Were able to get dignified work. They that's were able. Exact- to- he said that was so. The way he finally
0: got to like that's the other thing is he. You're exactly right. He always answers the question, and of course, like any politician, he puts it in his terms. But he basically was just like Glenn. We counted crimes that were perpetuated against poor people instead of not including them.
2: So we use actual stats (laughs) (laughs) like because that's something that goes on all the time out here in our own country. Like my buddy, Ethan, because he used to work in the like the crime division of some media entity. And he's like, one of my jobs was studying crime stats. And it's just like it's obvious if you incentivize better stats, that's what people are going to drive to. They're not going to they're not going to stop rapes from occurring, they're going to misreport actual rapes so that they don't show up on the stats. And that's what Lula was saying. He's like, no, we're actually having transparent stats. You know why? You know why? Because we believe in the work that we're actually doing for people. We don't have to lie about what the crime stats are because the bottom line is, how do you lift people out of poverty? I don't know. Give them jobs so they have money. Let them know that these jobs are actually available to them. You know, avail them of education so that they can further embed themselves, you know, avail them to all the rights that, you know, certain elites take for granted. Like, it seems pretty simple to me. You want less crime? Give people money. (laughs) Like they won't feel the need to take your tennis shoes. He literally said that or take your watch because they can go out and buy their own. And guess what? They can go out and work for it. There's an opportunity for them to go out and get some paper in a dignified fashion, right? obviously, delete the, the elites in this country and abroad and everywhere else. like people thumb their nose at work. You know what I'm 100%. saying but while at the same exactly. time while at the same time calling the downtrodden shiftless,
0: Yep. Yep. No, no that's they, exactly they and I think and that was the point that he was making though, too, right? And I just want to say, like, a lot of other stuff we can't cover, but I just want to keep emphasizing that this is a man that grew up in serious poverty, he had to drop out of school when he was twelve. He worked as a metal worker and worked his way through the union movement and then became this incredibly successful president and democracy and union leader. And, you know, he also has a section in the interview where he talks about the history of globalization. He talks about how we got where we are. He has a strategic understanding of where Brazil is positioned in terms of what he could and couldn't. You know, he's just I mean, this guy is brilliant and he already has proven success. And the underscore point is that he's in solitary confinement on ridiculous charges, which you can get in out, you know, we'll put links to segments I've done on my show into this website called the Brazil wire, which everybody needs to read in addition to obviously the interview with Glenn Greenwald. But I, I would just say, like, I do think like, we'll look back on a time and, you know, all the mainstream media is garbage and lazy as fuck about this. They barely cover it. And then when they do, they just say like, oh, he was convicted of corruption. Uh, even though literally, what he's—they—they deter- they called it indeterminate acts—is what they put him in jail for. Uh, this this idiot Hassan Minaj with his like whack Netflix show just repeated the same thing on Lula on a segment recently. So there's a lot of dishonesty and a lot of laziness about not only a great leader and politician who could be a net positive in a very dangerous time, but also something that you know, the Brazilian elites and Western companies and and U.S. foreign policy have played a role in, and then people are just lazily regurgitating it. And there's a huge history of that. I mean, how many great leaders, frankly, not even – trying to do anything that radical. I mean, that's what's so funny is like, you know, he's trying to do like what people like FDR did for Brazil. Like this is not even radical, you know, and yet it still is suppressed. So I just think we all, you know, please speak out about it, press your politicians on it. And also if you watch the interview, it's like, oh shit, maybe the best person we have in the game today is a political prisoner. That's wild.
2: Yeah. You know, um, again it's it's Brazil's dynamic um is a little bit different than ours and 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 you know Lula even alluded to yeah, it he was like man yeah. our slavery was a lot more recent yep. <laughs> and you know the 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 idea that uh I, you see I think in America we're kind of past the point <laughs> of we don't want to see black people at the airport but it's like we don't want to do anything to help him get there.
0: (laughs) 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 We're not (laughs)
2: going to lift a finger to actually help. You're there. That's fine. That's cool. I'm like, don't ask me to do anything about it. What the hell is, what the hell are you talking about? You know? um, But yeah, I I just thought, I just thought it was a fascinating, uh, it was a fascinating look at a guy who has actually done something for people. And, a lot of times people get so cynical about politics, man, but it's not it's it's really not hard um, once he breaks it down to you how the poorest people in Brazilian society are are forced to live. It's not hard to understand why somebody might want to make it their life's mission to make it not so. Right. Yeah. Like it, it's so it's so clear. It's so easy to me. Once you, you know, <laughs> once you break it down to its core components, it's like, listen, like he's like, just listen to the, the, the actual reality of the poorest Brazilians life. Just just think about that. Just think about that. Like what type of per- nobody deserves that, bro. And so, you know, I just, I just thought it was a really cool look. Um, You know, he's obviously passionate about. You know the, the the cause of of working you know um you know working people uh the forgotten people of society and it's a you know quite refreshing man absolutely um so yeah so
0: you know they say in portuguese lula livre." uh you could probably i mean you can see me on the t-shirt with the t-shirt fairly frequently actually Another story that is in a different realm, but is actually very inspiring. So what's Rihanna up to and what was she talking with the New York Times about?
2: Man, uh, so recently, Rihanna sat down with the New York Times T Magazine, I believe it's called. Uh, she sat down with a brother named, hold on, I want to make sure I'm getting this man's name right, because he gave a fantastic interview. A brother named Jeremy O. Harris. He's a playwright. He's an actor. Uh, it was just basically about Rihanna j- joining forces with the, with the LV shit, LVMH. I, 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 I just know the Louis Vuitton portion, <laughs> the LVMH fashion house, which is basically the biggest, most powerful fashion house in the fashion conglomerate in the world, right? Like these people do billions with a B of revenue every single year. Um, and you know, they they just talked about the significance of what it means for her to be partnering with these people to be the first person, the first black woman, to head up a a fashion line with LVMH. Um, and they're starting it from scratch with her. Uh, it, it's just an incredible story. And Mike, you know, a, a lot of people who listen to this know I'm a fan of Rihanna's work. I'm a fan of her as a person. I just honestly feel a certain um connectedness to her because. You know, she's a, a, a an immigrant from the Caribbean, like my own mother's an immigrant from the Caribbean, uh, immigrant woman from the Caribbean. All of my my aunts are, you know, the people who basically raised me, my oldest sister is like I feel very connected to her and her story. Right. And, right. you know, oftentimes in this piece, they talk about like what it's like to be you. And do the things that you're doing. And I just admire Rihanna's fearlessness, man. Um, it's it's really it's I, I don't know how, to, how else to say it besides it's inspiring uh, to hear her say, like, look, I am who I am, but nobody's going to shake me from that. Right. Like, despite what it might mean in this industry to these people that I'm doing, the things that I'm doing, um, I, I can't I can't not be me. Um And I have to be me for the people that came before me, the people who are going to come after me, um the little girls that are going to read this <laughs> this magazine, quite frankly, like I have to be Rihanna and I have to do so in the most authentic manner possible. And, you know, of course, we talk about shit. Like about the perils of capitalism and, of, you know, at, at the one on the one hand, this is just another capitalistic endeavor. Right. It is just um, a means to make more money through clothes or through makeup or through whatever. But I think there's just something a little bit more distinct about what Rihanna is doing in her own path. Right. Uh, they talk about in the article how. Before she got into the makeup game, like the the color palettes were extremely limited, specifically for women, for black women. You know, uh and this is some something I, I remember talking to um people close to me because I you know, I'm like, <laughs> you know I'm a skeptic, right? <laughs> like I, I see Rihanna moving all this merch, not merch, moving all this makeup, and I'm like, really guys, like you guys are like is and I asked a friend of mine, a black woman, and I'm like, what's so good about this Rihanna makeup that's like that you couldn't get with from say Maybelline? And she's like, dude, like she's literally servicing black women. Straight up. Right. Obviously, she has stuff for um, white women, Asian women, blah, blah, blah. But she is the first major brand out there, mass produced, that black women can go and find stuff that they can actually use themselves straight from the store um it was revolutionary and groundbreaking i was just like wow like just the idea that this never occurred to somebody else just out of pure capitalistic motivations this never even occurred to somebody so it's just like you know the vein of her capital her capitalism um not to say that it's like somehow less capitalist you know what i'm saying like cuz it's not but the things that she's doing um and how they affect You know, specific communities. I just thought it spoke to me and just, you know, as because she is a public figure. And my favorite part about Rihanna, quite honestly, has always been how she's famous. Right. Like how she chooses to conduct her fame like she's not hiding from people. She's not hiding who she is from anything. Like, you know, they mentioned her walking out of a a, a restaurant with a wine glass in her hand. Like, whatever. I don't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? And, And that always felt so authentic. Like, she's just like, I know people are watching me, but I'm not going to let it affect me and who I am and how I present to the world. And I just think it's so powerful. And I think that's why... You know, to put our uh our our brand strategist hats on like we used to do with dope dope boys. All right. Yes. I think the authenticity of her quote unquote brand is just you can't bottle that up. You cannot fake it. And there's a reason why people connect to her in the way that she does. And you know, I don't want to do the the rote comparisons of Rihanna and Beyonce. But it here I feel like it's instructive because obviously Beyonce is a powerful voice. She is a motivational voice for women and specifically women of color all around the world in her own way. But she did come out with a clothing brand. She's come out with several clothing brands and they kind of weren't, you know, very successful because guess what? The people never really wanted that from her. Right. That's not what the people cared about Beyonce for. Um. So but when you see when Rihanna drops her stuff, people for whatever reason, people feel like they are Rihanna. Right, um, uh, with Beyonce, is Beyonce is something that it's almost unachievable. I, it's aspirational. Yeah, I think that's that's
0: that. I mean, it's funny that you, yeah, because what is the, yeah, I don't know how you tease that apart, but like the difference, like obviously, I mean, it feels funny to say it because of course Rihanna is unbelievably glamorous and beautiful and brilliant and successful, but. Yeah, Beyonce is selling, and I think the reason that it works is I think it's authentic. She is, I mean, you know, perfection. nobody's perfect, but she's got perfection. Like, I like yeah. she she really, you know, it's just everything's choreographed. Everything, I mean, it's just she just nails it. I what I like also about Rihanna, what I think really shines through in this interview is <laughs> what i what i feel is like you know especially now right because i feel like the mode we're in now it, you know and I, I say this a lot when we talk about i mean we're going to touch on 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 biggie in a in a minute but i feel like it, it could be it could be a lot of different types of figures and some way, it could be anybody from <laughs> Nas to willie nelson to you know like there's a certain type of like rawness that's very popular right now and I feel like it wasn't even popular necessarily even a couple years ago and you know Rihanna you know people always make this point but it's true like when you've been on something before everybody tries to be on it it's a huge advantage I just Rihanna out of the gate has always been the one like now I feel like you know your PR person might be like hey you know what why don't you step out of that bar with some wine? Right. A years ago, it might have been like, "Hey, you're, you know, you're not, you're not, you know, you're not the clash. Like, you're not, you know, like you're not trying to sell. Like, come on, like you're fucking, you know, you're a beautiful woman, and like, yeah. of course, yes, you're very, you know, it's very sexual and it's very edgy, but you know, it's love ballads, and you're supposed, and it's glamour. Like, she was putting out. Like, do you remember when? when that Bobby Shmurda thing went viral a couple years ago and like granted everybody for us i think when that was happening a lot of people went on Snapchat and Instagram and and played Bobby Shmurda and did the dance yeah but it was like a lot of you know it was it was like other oh, rapper it was a lot of people like in that realm and then when you saw one where it was like oh Rihanna's like smoking a blunt listen to Bobby Shmurda. like yeah <laughs> forget that that might have actually bought, like the conventional wisdom of that time would have been, if you do that, you don't get to be the first black woman to head a major fashion house in Paris. So I think it's just cool that that sort of core attitude or whatever you want to call it, it, she did it before it was the thing to do. And, you know, now it carries through into all these different realms of success, basically.
2: Yeah, and and you know, honestly, for me, and again, like I was emotionally moved by her words. As as ridiculous as that might sound, like
0: no, it was a good interview. This
2: this this person is, you know, and as a black person out in the world, it's it's damn near impossible to achieve absolute freedom, right? Specifically in a capitalistic society, and of course, the interviewer had to ask, because obviously, this shit is making tons and tons of money, and she's like well that money is just an expression of what I can do for other people right yeah. and it's like yeah. what's the point yeah. of this shit if I can't take care of my family if I can't create jobs if I can't help the next Rihanna build the next fashion house at um LVMH like you know this money is just a vehicle to do shit for other people which I think is an important message and by the way the cynics out there be like yeah whatever I'm sure she doesn't mean it blah 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 it doesn't matter that's what she said That's what she chose to put out in the public, right? It's not, oh, my motivation is to, you know, sell more clothes than Celine does or sell more clothes than Chanel does um, during the next season. It's not that. It's like, yo, this money shit is dope because it allows me to do, you know, certain different things. And I I just think – but to get back to what I was saying, like, I just think Rihanna embodies just a certain freedom of spirit and just freedom of being that is just – you know, it's again, it's inspiring for somebody like me who just generally the shit I see on the Internet just makes me roll my eyes. Right. And even this Rihanna interview, which I'm a big fan of Rihanna's. um, But I just took my time and I was like, I don't know, whatever. But then, you know, something clicked with me. It's like she's doing something really important. Right. Um, Again, you can say what you want about, you know, This just being another corporate sponsorship and a lot of the pieces going for $1,500, blah, 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 blah. You can say what you want about that. The bottom line is this is a powerful fucking entity and they have empowered freaking Robin Fenty (laughs) to do something for them. Right. Like it's it's, it's it's unescapable how important that is, no matter what your critiques are of capitalism, like this achievement is an important one. And I just love the, the message that she embodies, man.
0: I love she says, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to take control of my vision, my sound, my clothes. I also embrace changes along the way, things that make me a better woman, a better human being. Like even the way I communicate, I'm really proud of my growth in that. I'm proud to walk into any building as this person. Nothing makes nothing makes me embarrassed about me. And so it's so funny because when I was reading that at first, the first part of like I'm going to do whatever I want, I'm going to take control of my vision. You know, I'm like, okay, what you know, cool, good, absolutely, go for it. But there's nothing like that's I've heard a million everybody say that. Yeah. But when you make it the the combination of that full confidence in the face of everything that you know she has faced and dealt with and then also even just like the humility of like this global icon superstar artist performer businesswoman saying like hey I've communicate I've improved the way I've communicated You know, like, and the truth is, like, we all should be trying to do that. Every single fucking person, but nobody, like, when's the next time you're going to hear that from another CEO or another
2: whatever? I mean, okay, Mike, just imagine this interview was being given by, I don't know, Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at
0: least, at least try to think of somebody who's not so fucking ridiculous and nonsensical what? as Elon Musk you can't, dude, a show on Lula and Rihanna,
2: you can't bring up Elon Musk that just <laughs> that just degrades everything, come on it's just, imagine him in Rihanna's position uh, what this man would say about himself, bro like, and, and you know, and that's what it's hard for me not to think about those things as I'm reading this, you yeah. know um, and I do want to share a passage that, you know, that spoke to me and it did speak to about being rich, being famous, being black. The interviewer goes, I can't get over the fact that, you know, the fashion industry is historically so explicitly white. It's so racist. It's so classist. And it's so sexist. Had there been moments where as a black woman, you felt like an outsider in this space or does being Rihanna alleviate that? She um, Rihanna goes. It's never alleviated. You know, you're going to be black wherever you go. And I don't know if it's unfortunate or fortunate because I love being black. So sorry for those who don't like it. That's the first wow. thing you see before you even hear my voice. There are also other factors. I'm young, I'm new to the family, I'm a woman. Those factors do come into play, but I will not apologize for them and I will not back down for being a woman, for from being black, from having an opinion. I'm running a company and that's exactly what I came here to do. I don't know if it makes people uncomfortable or not, but that's not even my business, you know? I do know that the reason I'm here is not because I'm black it's because of what I have to offer and that's what they're interested in and the fact that I'm black is just that a fact <laughs>
0: like, well, yeah no, She's. I mean it's funny that she said that like I can't picture like when she talks about communicating well I'm like yeah I, I don't recall a time where Rihanna wasn't a very clear communicator but the other thing that's I, the other thing too is I just want to say really quick on the like yeah you know like I do for sure, right? I'm a socialist. I look at capitalism as, you know... An I, evil, a scourge. I, I, don't even, I don't even... You know, to be honest with you, it's like, in some ways, I can put it even less dramatic than that. I just think it's... It's it's a technology, if you want to use that analogy or metaphor, that's, like, done. You know, like, we got sure. to evolve out of it if sure. we want to survive as a species. Sure. And it's also a system that is horrible for a lot of human beings and we and obviously you know particularly uh those you know at the extreme ends of the exploitation chain but even those who aren't right but that being said part of the reason that at least you know for me like i always have you know, had even besides like some of the work that I did an interest in brands and, and how they interact with culture is because first of all, you can't be like a scourge. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm a socialist, but I also, I love when I get my Adidas boxes in the mail and I make no apologies yeah. for that.
2: <laughs> Same.
0: Thing is, as, as, as anybody who watches me on YouTube knows. And the second thing I would say is, is that it would be foolish. Like Look, if somebody said, oh, because Rihanna has that position, that shows that, you know, we don't have to deal with capitalism. We don't have to deal with inequality because we can just – we can make the 1 percent, you know, look diverse, right? If that's your argument, then no, I'll fight that all day. But on the other hand, if you were to just say, oh, it doesn't matter. It's all just capitalism. no. The culture, the possibility, I mean, uh, tracing back to Lula, I mean, yes, first and foremost, it's all the great things he did as a president and as a leader, but you don't think that that doesn't unlock the sense of possibility for other kids that had to drop out and shine shoes or work at a metal factory. And so, you know, these things really matter. It matters that she's in that position and matters that she, you know, it, that matters regardless of how far it goes.
2: Yeah, man. Um, you know, to that point, I can give a personal antidote, right? Uh, a, a, a few weeks back, uh, Stephen A. Smith was at the Clippers playoff game. And he's basically, you know, one of the five most important people in media, in sports media. Like, there's no two ways about it. But he also happens to be from Hollis, Queens. He also happens to be black. And he also happens to talk in a sort of way that I identify with, right? Like, I grew up in Queens Village, which is the adjacent neighborhood to Hollis. Um, I am a black person. I happen to kind of talk like Stephen A. Smith. There's something affirming of knowing, about knowing, self-affirming, about knowing that Stephen A. Smith is from where I'm from. He talks how I talk. He looks like me. For myself! Right. Yep. But somebody who does have confidence in their abilities to, you know, do whatever job that I'm in. But there's just something affirming about like, damn, Stephen A. Smith is one of the most important people in media. And he's from where I'm from. He talks like how I talk. He looks how I look like, you know, that's just a fact. Like you could say it sounds corny. You could say whatever you want. It just oh, is what who
0: said. It sounds corny. I mean, that's just I mean, look. I'm not in any way comparing it at all because it's different stakes and different history, although obviously, you know, Jewish people do have a history. And, you know, I don't think that this Trump, look, look, if Bernie Sanders was, you know, who he is, but he supported NAFTA and took money (laughs) from Wall Street, obviously I wouldn't vote for him. And so I support him because of policy. But there's no, but the part of me that's just like, oh, Bernie, come on, I fucking love this guy. That's because he could have my uncles, exactly. <laughs> it's because I, I could have met him at some family seder and been like, oh, like Uncle Bernie is mad about what Reagan's doing in Latin America. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's of great. Course. And that's I mean, great. That's one of the most simple expressions of all of these things, right? Is just the the experience that you don't get to have yourself, whoever you are, you know affirmed publicly or culturally. I mean, that matters. Like, I think that's the part of like this argument that's getting messed up is that on one hand, there is a contingent of people, particularly people who cluster around like the kind of fake woke, like Hillary Clinton daily show kind of mindset that they're saying that's all you need. Like, right. hey, let's keep this. Let's keep the schools. Start. Let's still have structural poverty. Let's not deal with anything, but let's just affirm that in public.
2: Right. Or, or not know, even but deal on with the. Other the- hand,
0: if you were to say that that was nothing. You would in fact be. And, I, you know, I don't it's funny. I don't use terminology like this a lot, frankly, anymore. But like that would be pure white privilege to say that it literally would be.
2: Well, Mike, it, and, and again, it ignores the the obvious, implicit idea that yes, as special as Rihanna is, she is not the first Black woman born capable of doing the job yeah. that she's in. Oh, of course, oh, of course. <laughs> like that's the that's the other part that neoliberals don't get. It's like. No, like, yes, we're going to acknowledge Rihanna for being special, but, like, she's not that special. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, certain types of neoliberals will have you believe. Like, no, the reason why Rihanna did it is because of the meritocracy. She was one of the only people who could get through it because she's so special. Just like all of us at Harvard, we're so special. Because <laughs> our daddy bought a building, we're so special. <laughs> right? And it's just, you know, it's, it's just the obvious stupid critique of, you know, neoliberalism and all that jazz.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, no, that's so please, everybody will obviously also have that in the show notes. Definitely read that interview. And, you know, I would say really, I mean, share it. I mean it it is not you know, I would have you know took a look at it anyways because I like Rihanna. She's cool, but it there there's there's nutrition, there's there's stuff in there that even if you don't care at all about Rihanna or fashion or whatever, that's definitely relevant for kind of understanding how the world works. We're like Brooklyn? Uh,
1: Even and 357
0: The last thing uh, that we just wanted to hit for a minute was that this past week it would have been Notorious BIG's 47th birthday. And you know, it's always an opportunity. Like on my show, actually in the shout-out, we talked about it. Found this clip of him freestyling when he was seventeen, and yeah, I mean, I don't know, his charisma really was just kind of insane. But the just the other part that I just wanted to hit and go, you know, whatever, you know, I mean, I'll just say this really quickly. I think, especially, you know, uh, the public perception of the nineties, especially, you know, the nineties get further and further away, and nineties kids get older and older, which is terrifying. You you have this idea. It was like, oh, yeah, it was Bill Clinton and the stock market was like even people who think like, oh, that was a lot of false prosperity because it was juicing the stock market and it was a tech bubble. And there were all these fundamental problems that were going to come into view later, which they did. That's that's all true. But there was still, you know, even then, like I, and the culture was obviously so much more centralized in terms of, you know, you couldn't. You couldn't access – I mean forget even like alternative media. Like I guess you could read The Nation or whatever, which a couple hundred thousand people did. Uh, But you couldn't like even have all these other conversations that people have today, which is an advantage of social media, right? That you can be like, well, I don't think what ABC or MSNBC or Fox is doing – like. I think that Lula interview is important or in fact, I think the fact that, you know, we have all these videos of police murdering black people across the country. Let's center that or, you know, this protest or wherever or this artistic movement. What You know my point. And so when these records like Ready to Die came out, and I think Ready to Die particularly as I re-listened to it, like that was a pretty amazing like counterpoint to all of the bullshit of the 90s from Rudy Giuliani's this great guy who cleaned up New York. That was the the total mainstream narrative about Rudy Giuliani, like a guy who everybody now recognizes as like this decrepit, insane racist, (laughs) but everybody wanted to give him all sorts of credit even though probably there were bigger factors in place that would have happened anyways, and a lot of what he did was really just – terrorizing the underclass and people of color in New York and, 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 also accelerating the corporate domination of New York city. And so that album is is just like the retort to me of all of the presuppositions about what was actually happening at that time. It was like, no, actually there's still very little resources and there's still very limited opportunity. Oh, and by the way, If I'm quote unquote materialistic or into buying shit or into luxury brands, maybe it's because the entirety of this whole culture is.
2: Yeah, <laughs> the idea that you wouldn't like stuff stuff in America. And oftentimes, you know, I'm not gonna lie, I get on my high horse to my girlfriend or even to my mom about their affinity for stuff as if, you know, like you said, when that stock X package came through the Holy mail with them God. Jordan Fours, I wasn't like Ooh! <laughs> So, yes, I'm a hypocrite like everybody else. I, you know, I take ownership in that. But, you know, again, just, just to to sort of address what you were saying, you know, when we do talk about the go-go 80s and, you know, the, the, the prosperity of the 90s, like, we know who's, who was actually gaining from all of that prosperity, right? It wasn't working people. Like, working people's wages weren't going up. Working people's conditions weren't getting better. Um, It was all still going to the top. Like, and that's been the trend since basically, you know, since basically uh, our government has decided to completely and utterly align, it, align itself, both parties with the corporate class, like that goes without saying. And obviously, ready to die um, speaks to that. You know, I, you know, with Big's birthday coming up, of course it made me think of Nipsey Hussle, who died. You know, nine years older than Big was when he died, but still a a, a very young man, and and it made me just think about like all the things that Big might have accomplished, you know, within the last 22 years, right? Like all of the people he might have empowered. So, uh, you know, that's even without talking about some of the great works that he might have put out. Um, You know, what type of father he would have been to his kids. You know, That, that, that that it made me it made me think about that type of stuff, but it also made me just proud that 22 years later, that his presence still looms very large within the culture. I think his spirit, his essence imbues a lot of what's still even popular now. You know, just the idea, just the confidence, the brashness, the the idea that somebody who's as dark-skinned and fat and whatever (laughs) as, as big was could fancy himself as a ladies' man, like you know just his spirit I, st- I feel like it's still you know it's all is his DNA is all over what we do still within the culture today and for him to just get to 24 years old and be able to accomplish all of that it it makes me proud to call myself somebody you know who's part of hip hop culture and you know a culture that's gone from the freaking bronx to shanghai literally Right, um, I remember being in in freaking Barcelona and seeing like graffiti on the walls and just thinking like, wow. damn, that's yeah. fucking hip hop, like how <laughs> humbling that shit was. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, this the guy is a champion of of our of the culture that we you know we hold dear to ourselves obviously he's one of my favorite rappers ever obviously um as as somebody who was living in Brooklyn when he died you know what I'm saying like I'm proud to call myself a, a Brooklynite even though Brooklyn and Queens people give me a hard time about my dual citizenship you know oh um, my I, I just you know i more than anything i feel proud that 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 the guy was even in his limited time on the earth he was able to make such an incredible impact man